Tanajan, uh, I have a question regarding um, when spreading goodwill uh, to others, to me and uh, to others, what, uh, what should I say? I mean, what's a short way uh, to say something? Because in the, we did with each and every breath uh, book you mentioned, you can say, may I be happy, may I be free of stress and pain and so on. And the same for uh, the equanimity, because uh, you mentioned uh, all living beings are the owner of, owners of their action, heir to their actions, and so on. But it's uh, harder uh, when you don't have too much time or you want to do it quicker. <laughs> so what would be a good, uh, uh, what to say or what to keep in mind or what perception? Something okay. like so just make it really, really short. Happy? May they be happy? Okay. And then if equanimity, just remember karma. Okay. Uh, thank you. That's it. And then whatever, then whatever associations you have with the word karma will come up. In other words, okay, there are cases where <laughs> the karma is such, I can't do anything about this, so I've got to put it aside. Thank you, Tamajan. Good morning, um, Ajahn. And it's wonderful to see you. Thank you. Um, I sometimes, uh, I notice when I'm listening to the news, I'll, uh, I'm snagged in my heart and I'm overwhelmed by sadness. And <clears throat> sometimes I let myself go with that, but, it, but there's suffering in that. Um, and, uh, uh, when, when you, I guess I haven't been practicing enough not to be snagged, but, um, when you feel that snag, what is a good possible thing to say to yourself? Well, just to, help? to say, you know, may these people be happy. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, you know, if it's, if a politician is doing something really stupid, so, you know, may they see the error of their ways <laughs> and stop doing that. Yes, yes. This, this, but this one was about Afghan children being left behind, you know. Okay, well, that's that's only so, you know, is there something I can do about this? And this is one of the problems with the media. Yeah. It, it gives us much, to, much wider range of awareness than we had before that it's much larger than our the sphere where we can make a difference. Yes. And so you have to tell yourself, well, let, let me find some issue where I really want to help people and I feel that I'm capable of helping them in that area. Focus my attention there. And right. for everybody else, I have to say, okay, may you be happy, but I just don't have the energy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I can't do it myself. Um, uh, is, my only other question, um, too, beyond this is, um, are you accepting visitors at the, at the, um, at what meta? Only a few at a time. Okay. All right. Thank you. Quick question, a couple of quick questions about metta. Um, so metta during formal meditation can be an experience that's accompanied by a lot of joy and pleasure. And I'm curious if you describe that experience of joy and pleasure as something distinct from metta or a part of metta. Like, is that joy and pleasure part of metta itself or is it something that arises along with it? It simply arises along with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the metta itself it is a type of um, 
It's a type of determination, and then it's a form of mindfulness. It's an activity that you do, and then the results of the activity in this particular case would be a sense of well-being. And even though they seem to co go very closely together, you have to realize, well, what is the cause and the other is the effect? I, I've always felt like perhaps mistakenly that metta was somewhat of an emotion where, you know, there's these kind of, kind of in much the same way anger might be described, where there's these thoughts and these perceptions and they come along with the visceral feeling in the body. And, you know, which in the case of metta, if you're successful, might be joy and pleasure. Um, but you might say that those two things are separate. Could the same be said about anger where, you know, the negative feelings in the body are separate from the anger and anger is also a determination. And oh, a yeah, yeah it's, it's important to see them as separate. Remember, these are three different kinds of fabrication. Yeah. Bodily, it's the way you breathe. Um, verbal, the way you're talking to yourself. And then three, mental, the perceptions you're holding mind and the feelings you're focusing on. In the case of anger, you've got to realize, divide it up into those component factors and then ask yourself, which of those can I change right now so the anger doesn't overcome me? And then you try to replace them with I mean, what's what kind of breathing goes well with metta, what kind of way of talking to yourself goes well with metta, what perceptions we hold in mind that go well with metta. Try to encourage those instead. One more follow-up question. What type of fabrication is metta itself then? It's, um, it's, it's primarily verbal. And then there's a feeling that goes along with it because it's basically you're, you're formulating an intention. You know, I want my actions to be conducive to happiness for other beings. Yeah. Thank you very much. Hello, Tom and John. Um, I have two questions. One, uh, not exactly related to each other but um at one part of your talk you said you know we don't tolerate bullies that mm -hmm. abaya is something we we something that's good to offer what are acceptable forms of that that will have to really depend on the situation where you feel can i can i can i bring a peaceful situation a peaceful resolution to this mm. or if you have two little kids fighting it out in the back on, on a schoolyard and you're the only adult around so okay, I'm going to step in. <laughs> Other cases where, you know, you would be putting yourself into physical danger if you're trying to interfere. That's when you have to decide, is this worth it? Can I make the sacrifice? Because yeah. the Buddha doesn't place this an absolute duty that we have, but just something is, you know, it's, it's, a good, it's a good part of being a human being. You're going to realize that you were in a position of strength where you could protect those who were weak. And you did offer that protection. Mm. My um, my second question is: I've heard, or rather, read uh, Ajahn Lee say, and I've heard you say, when we start our meditation practice, we can sort of um, uh, uh, set an intention or set a um, I forgot the word Ajahn Lee uses, but um, uh, is entering or um getting to jhana an appropriate intention to set or is that would that get in the way well it's perfectly fine but then you have to realize okay that's the goal i have and then, and then the next step is you want to focus your intentions on how do you get there so focus your desires on 
I'm going to try to stay with the breath as consistently as I can. Mm-hmm. Or I'll try to be as sensitive as I can to the breath. Make that the focus of your, of your intention, your determination. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ajahn. Ajahn, happy to see you. Yeah, um, so uh, my question is, uh, if, uh, means, uh, once I started uh, practicing Dhamma, uh, I see everything uh, as uh, some form of selfishness. Like uh, I am not able to find interest uh, in any things like um, if, uh, studying or anything. Uh, I find it to be some form of selfishness and how to be a lay person and lead life and still be uh, interested in, uh, find interest in things uh, to go about that. Okay, this is where you have to look at the rest of your life as an opportunity to develop the perfections. So you're not just focusing on meditating, but you're learning how to develop your patience, you're learning how to develop your kindness, you're learning how to develop your, you know, any one of the 10 perfections. Okay, so look at the other opportunities, you know, dealing with the family, dealing at work. So this, this is going to be, give me a rounded basis, a well-rounded basis in my practice. If you're thinking only about, you know, all I want to do is meditate, meditate, meditate. Okay, that's that's like going down to the gym and exercising only one muscle. You get one big muscle, but then it distorts the whole rest of your body. So we're going to say, okay, it, I, I want to be able to see that this practice of mine is actually helping other people too. And so in this case, the meditation would be there not just for the pleasure that you get from your own meditation, but also from the metal strengths that it gives you so that you can actually deal with more difficult situations in the family, more difficult situations at work. Because you're, you know, you, you can't, you can't get to nirvana being selfish. And as the Buddha said, you can't, you can't even enter a genre if you're selfish. So you have to say, what do I have that I can share with other people? And then in terms of your knowledge, in terms of your time, in terms of your energy. And see, if I can learn how to take joy in that, then that will nourish my practice. Otherwise, the practice gets very dry. So try to think in those terms. Thank you, Tana John, for teaching today. Um, we really enjoyed the humor, by the way. That uh, quote by Mark Twain was fantastic. Love that. Thank you. Hope to remember that. And um, uh, thank you for the reference to the Cuyahoga River burning, catching on fire. You're talking to two uh, former Clevelanders, um, one of the many events that put Cleveland on the map, sadly. Um, but that did end in a good in a good way. They did clean up that river, and there are now fish. So um, things can change. And uh, my question has to do with this um, passage uh, number four. It's the, the lady, the householder, and the slave. Mm-hmm. It actually has to do with admonishment, if we read all the way to the end, mm-hmm. which is, is interesting. Um, and my question is, it's, it's interesting that the Buddha would use this analogy because the situation didn't even seem to be necessary to provoke the, the house owner to, uh, to test, to test her. And um, 
I'm asking about it because in today's world, there seems to be a lot of purposeful provocation. Like somebody's successful and there's like an intentional provocation to try to destroy them or discredit them. And then some people who really say should be discredited because they are doing some really heinous things don't even get touched. And there seems to be quite a confusion. So I'm just wondering how the Buddha used this particular analogy for admonishment and in how you would juxtapose that with today's world that's so confused with. Well, again, you're not the first person to raise this. Was Is Gali, the slave, being presented as an ideal wise person? Well, no. Okay. She was just curious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> however... However, it is it is it, it is it, it does illustrate the, the principle that if people are behave themselves only if you treat them nicely, right? You can't really trust them to be good people. Okay. And this is why the Buddha said, "You you know the purity of other people only when you have dealings with them." And like I I, I could I could list a number of cases where I've gotten in public arguments with other people on on, on Dharma issues. And I've seen a side of those persons that they, those people I would never have expected. Okay. And so, well, I've learned something about them. Okay. But then I don't want to go around using it to, to, to beat them over the head or, or destroy their reputation, but just know it's okay for my own purposes. I've, I've learned something about that. And this, this is something, you know, a teacher needs to know, especially in say in a, in a monastic situation. Right. If the younger monks are, are behaving themselves only because you know, there's there's a good meal on in the in their bowl every day, and there's nice robes, and there's you know the lay supporters are really really nice to them, and you don't really know to, to what extent they're really committed to the practice. Okay. You know, we had this one very difficult woman in the in the kitchen for a while. What time was it? When I was in Thailand, and when there was one day when this um, this rabid dog came into the monastery and bit a couple of puppies. And then within a couple of days, one of the puppies became rabid and it was just running around biting all the other puppies, biting the mother. And then eventually they all had to be chased away. Right. And so the, the woman in the kitchen was complaining about this. She said this, you know, this delinquent puppy running around biting everybody in sight. And the John Foon looked at me and he said, well, that, that's good to have dogs like that around to see if then the dogs that can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, question, follow-up question then, at what point would you, upon interacting with your monks, it's always necessary, but say somebody who you're interacting with on the internet, where you would do a follow-up and offer some, um, if it's not admonishment, at least suggestion about a habit pattern that's not skillful versus not well, I, I had one case, there was this one monk who we were having a back and forth on Ibenia issues. This was not public, but this was just in our letters. And he was getting more and more belligerent on a particular issue. And so finally I asked, in a case like that, you asked permission, can I speak to you about the tone that you've been adopting? Okay. And he wrote back and said, permission denied. <laughs> and that's when I realized, okay, that's it as far as this conversation is going. Okay. Okay. I mean, so there's some skillfulness in putting forth to somebody, hey, do you recognize this? Could you 
this could be yeah. more skillfully done. If they're open to that, then you pursue it. So if they're not them. open to it, then you forget about it. Okay. So this, your topics today were very gray in the sense it can be very difficult to know when to endure, say, uh, a boss or a politician who's not behaving as skillfully as, as they could versus in a situation where you really want to improve something. Um, okay, well, this, this is, you know, patience here doesn't mean you don't do anything. It's just that you don't do anything out of anger. Okay. Okay. And, and I guess what I would add, as you've often said, never, like, um, never break your precepts. Don't lose your generosity or your, your concentration. So don't let anybody come uh, approach you with letting that happen. Outside of that, it could be a gray area and you just test the waters. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Um, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the relationship between Otapa and Atapi, because um, I read a little bit of your essays and I was not clear on what kind of connection exactly. Okay, Otapa, which I translate as compunction, mm -hmm. is basically the realization that okay, if I do X, there are going to be bad consequences, and I don't want to do that. I don't, want, I don't want to see those bad consequences coming. It's basically a matter of caring about the consequences of your actions. You're not apathetic. Um, mm -hmm. And you're also not callous towards other how, how your actions are going to affect other people. Um, the, the word atapi, which is um, um, ardency, mm -hmm. goes more into just the amount of effort you're going to be putting into. You're going to put your whole heart into doing what's skillful. Mm -hmm. Now, otapa is also often um, put together with, with, with um, hiri, which is shame. Mm -hmm. And of the two, you can think of hiri as being associated with the, with the factor of admirable friendship. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you want to look good in the eyes of the noble ones. You want to look good in, in the eyes of the Johns or anyone that you really respect. And that's, that's the feeling you have. But I, if I were to do this, say, suppose that John Munn were looking over my shoulder, what would he think? You know, and he said, I don't want to... I don't, want, I don't want to do anything that he would look down on. Mm -hmm. Whereas otapa is more impersonal. And it relates more to the factor that's called appropriate attention. If you realize, okay, if I, I look at my actions and regardless of how much I want to do this action, I know that it's going to cause harm down the line. I should do it. So here it is, of those two qualities, admirable friendship and appropriate attention, Admirable friendship is said to be the most useful external quality in the practice, whereas appropriate attention is the most useful internal quality of the practice to develop. So these two emotions correspond to these, these internal and external qualities are going to be really helpful. But in, in terms of your question, atapi or atapa is basically just the ardency or the intentness or the amount of energy you're willing to put in to develop skillful qualities, abandoned on the ones. I see. So atapi is more broad, whereas otapa is with, specifically with um, respect to um, avoiding okay. Okay. avoiding harm. Yeah. I see. Um, 
And I was also wondering with regard to um, skillful friendship, I mean, about having admirable friends, how do you emulate discernment in discerning people? Okay, you ask yourself, if, you know, say John Lee were here, uh-huh. how would you analyze this situation? I see. I'm, I'm not really sure, but I can think about it. <laughs> just, just try to channel them. What, what, what do you say? I see. Okay. Okay, thank you. Ajahn, homage to you. I'm sorry about not having the video. Um, the thing is, uh, um, which book would you suggest that be uh, um, translated into a different language first? I didn't get your whole question. Like I'm translating the meditations then in my mother tongue. Mm-hmm. And I realized I have not asked your permission or your submission after you know, I just started doing it. Okay, well, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> uh, so I want to get your blessings and your suggestions. Okay, well, do a good job. Huh? Do a good job. Anything I choose is okay. Yes. Well, not anything, but do your best. I mean, uh, any of your books. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. And the other thing is, uh, like, uh, uh, I was uh, working in, in my meditation, and I happened across a video which caught my attention. Uh, it is like the four, they said there are four diaphragms, and like, what four diaphragms? And I was just um, watching that on YouTube, and it showed that the, the whole body moves when we are breathing including the skull and the lower part of the face. And I realized that uh, actually when I was breathing in, I was holding in the lower part of my face. When I paid attention to that and I tried to relax it and let it do its job, like a lot of uh, tightness, which I didn't even realize was there all over my body, lower part, part of the body. After a souls, many places, small, small, small places, was getting released. Um, so now and then, instead of the breathing in and out, I kind of also do this kind of awareness of, um, you know, this, uh, the mandible and the back side of the lower part of the skull. Mm-hmm. And it has given me a lot of uh, good benefit. And I thought, like, uh, we think I'm digressing and this is a more grosser way of It's perfectly fine. Whatever way you find of dealing with the energy in your body that you find beneficial is all to the good. And another thing is like, uh, suppose um, very painful memory or something or anger uh, comes up or uh, something like that. Mm. I immediately change my posture. For example, I'm sitting and meditating. I immediately get up and start walking. And in one of the suttas, Buddha says that uh, you should not change your position till the uh, unwholesome state, unskillful state goes away. And uh, I was like, uh, am I doing the right thing? Or like, well, first, because, first, first hmm. you do want to try to work through your response to that un 
unpleasant emotion or unpleasant memory while you're sitting? No, it's really strong because I, I it was like a really bad experience. Mm. So it's really strong and. Okay, if you find that you cannot, you cannot not change posture. Okay, go up and change your posture. But over time, you should get so okay, I can sit with this. I don't just change the posture. I just walk, start walking meditation. I change the sitting meditation. Meditation like that. Completely changed. It's not just a slight movement. I do it purposefully, not without awareness. Yeah. So I wanted to know, like, uh, is this uh, um, something that I should work on or just keep doing it? Because it's giving me a good benefit, but what is your suggestion? Okay, use it for the time being, but eventually you yeah, ask yourself, can I sit with this and see why it is that the energies that are released in my body while I'm sitting, why, why can I not just sit with this and release those energies in that posture? Mm-hmm. Okay. But again, that would be something you would work toward over time. When you feel that you're ready to give it an ex- experiment with it like that. And also, I wanted to thank you so much for your massage for feelings, and it's very, very beneficial to me. Thank you. Sometimes I think it's really, really personal. You like a zone in, onto me and you give it. I don't know, but I feel that way, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, Tanashan, uh, so you were talking about um, metta and, and I mean, I've, I've heard this so many times, but it's only recently that I've kind of understood why. Um, you've talked about, you know, just kind of sipping water from a puddle and just feeling really, I guess, vulnerable and other sort of images that go with it. And I guess the point of it is to get into a mindset of collaboration is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And also to deal with any thought you might have. This person doesn't deserve my metta. This person is so horrible that I would be lowering myself to, to feel goodwill for this person. And then you want to counteract that and say, okay, I need this person's goodness, which is why they have the image of getting down on all fours and slurping it up, which is not a very dignified posture, right? Mm-hmm. But you say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to stop and think about this person's good qualities and I feel that it's beneath me. Right. Um, also, I wanted to ask you about, um, you, you mentioned something about, okay, well, this is the sort of situation that I need to master that, that the karma has brought up for me. Um, and I mean, isn't it? the same situation for all of us <laughs> it just some situations are harder than others okay so like i mean what i see is consistency the way i talk with myself are like i mean that seems to be the pattern for a lot of people who are meditating and who are going on the path um and am i supposed to focus a little bit more uh, into like personal circumstances and see if that's what I need to master or is that, you know, the verbal fabrications and, and consistency are those the things that I should be focusing on? Well, it's always helpful to focus to some extent on your, on your interpersonal relationships. Mm, okay. So, that, so that, you, that you're 
person, the individual practice does carry over into how you're treating other people. Okay. Um, one last questions, question with patients. What sort of fabrications, like images and, and perhaps stuff that you tell yourself or other people that you know that seem to help? Uh, I'm just trying to find out something that I could stick to. Okay, well, there's one that John Fung had. Like he would suddenly spring on us occasionally. He said, we're going to sit all night. And this would almost always be at the end of a long day of work. And I said, I don't think I can handle this. And he said, is it going to kill you? Oh, no. Okay, then you can do it. <laughs> okay. So the boss death. <laughs> so. Right, right. Okay. Right. Thank you. That's it. Thank you. Hello. Good morning, Ajahn, or good afternoon, Ajahn. Thank you so much. Um, endurance for one's own unskillful mental states, not evil unskillful mental states, not anything that's doing harm to others, but you know is doing harm to oneself. So I know there's the destroy, wipe out, dispel, abandon, wipe out of existence, but if that's over years isn't working and you just endure as you would cold and heat and mosquitoes and flies. Does that sound right? <laughs> hey, as long as you keep reminding yourself that then when this comes up, I'm going to see this as something separate from me. This is okay. just a little, little tag along part of my brain that it's not cooperating with everybody else. As if it was a mosquito or fly, or as <laughs> Ajahn Lee would say, the other little beings or something. Right. Going okay. Through, yeah, yeah. As long Separate. as you don't identify with it. And yeah, because it, it I, I, you have a couple, stepping out is very helpful, duty to be positive, um, following the wrong duty. I mean, that, that's not any of the duties on the path. Um, so it, and it is fading away, but um, that's helpful. So just see it as separate for oneself. Okay. The other is, once you see it as separate, you can talk to it. You say, what do you want? <laughs> I talk to myself a lot, so that won't be hard. <laughs> yeah. no, but it, I think okay. I don't know if I told you, but there was this one woman who came one time to see a John Furham, and she had what in the West we would have called Tourette syndrome. Uh huh. Yep. And she would just burst out in angry speech, at, you know, at no provocation at all. And she came one day and she offered him a glass of sugarcane juice. And he took one sip out of the glass, and then he gave the glass back to her and told her to drink the whole rest of it. And as she did, the symptoms came on right there. And he talked to her. He talked to her. He talked to the symptoms. He said, who are you? Why are you here? And it turns out it was she was inhabited by this other spirit, saying that this woman had, you know, treated me wrong in a previous lifetime. And I see her practicing meditation. I don't want her to get away. So I've got to do what I can to stop her. Huh. And, so, and, John, and John Fung reasoned with the voice. He said, look, you're just creating more bad karma for yourself. Because do you want it that when, when, when you die and you, you become a human being again and she gets, starts inhabiting you and doing this to you, do you want that? No. How about letting her practice and then dedicate the merit of her practice to you? Would you accept that? Yes. And that was it. She didn't have the symptoms ever again. 
that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes you got to talk to whoever this is. <laughs> right. The little germ or right. whatever it keeps going through your brain. Yeah, and it really took me a while. To, the idea of having compassion and goodwill and empathy for oneself mm-hmm. and also recognizing all the other strengths mm-hmm. um, and goodness and just let that become a smaller and smaller part. But I like the idea that it's separate. Um, right. It's other. Because I did ask him, you know, how, how do you do this? He said, just lots of goodwill. Thank you. I could, I could spend a whole morning talking about stories of a giant film dealing with spirits with goodwill. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so treat it like a spirit, huh? Treat it like, treat it like this little, this, you know, this little satellite galaxy that hasn't been properly integrated. Okay. I like that. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Tanai John. Uh, I've always loved the uh, simile of the cow's footprint, um, but I've never really read it in context. And what puzzles me about the context is when he says, um, as in the first, uh, as in the preceding paragraph, uh, when an individual is uh, impure in his verbal behavior, but pure in his bodily behavior, pay no attention to the verbal behavior, but pay attention to the purity of his bodily behavior. Well, no one I know is totally impure in their verbal behavior. Mm -hmm. So why not pay it? I'm sure we can all think of people, you know, who are, say, nasty to some people, but very kind to others. Or Mm -hmm. so um, you get the question. Yeah, I think Say so, well, he's, I think he's taking thinking mainly about people who are impure or pure to you. Yes, someone they, they may act in, a, in, a, in an honest way with you, but the way they talk to you is very demeaning. Um, so focus on the fact. Well, this person really has been helpful to me. And again, if if you can you can switch the categories around. You can say, well, there, there have been times in the past when this person has spoken nicely. Now they're speaking not nicely. Let me focus on the times when they're speaking nicely, or or they're giving me an op- They're speaking uh, badly towards me, but they're being kind to me by giving me an opportunity to to practice equanimity and endurance. Well. <laughs> Whatever, whatever you find is, 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 is helpful. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, good morning, Tadajan. Um, kind of trying to figure out how to, how to ask the question even. Um, the more I practice, the more I notice that I want to withdraw from the world. <laughs> like I moved five months ago to, to LA and I, kind of purposely didn't bring my tv and i've been okay with that like uh, and music wise uh you know i don't practice a i don't take the eight precepts um but i just noticed that i don't like listening to music anymore the more i practice because i feel like it um it manipulates my emotions sometimes in ways that i don't want or i hear things that manipulate my emotions in ways that i don't want so i just don't do that very often anymore um but then I also find that I'm kind of maybe isolating in unhealthy ways. Also, just more and more. Then I come in contact with people, and you know, I I I see their interactions, and I see their the their um, 
anger with each other or the way they talk to each other in unkind ways, then it really affects, really affects me. And I kind of don't want to go, like my son and daughter-in-law, for example, I had dinner with them last night and their interactions, they never used to bother me, but nowadays more and more, I see their anger towards each other and their unkind things they say to each other and keeping my mouth shut. I'm glad I keep my mouth shut because they probably wouldn't want me to have come to dinner. Um, <laughs> I also start to wonder, I want to have dinner with these family members, but um, it's hard to come, it's hard to get a balance as a lay person, I think. Um, and that's one issue that's coming up for me. But the second thing is, I really liked your an analogy about the anger. Uh, and I, I'd like to build on it a little bit because I thought, I, I really love that analogy. And then I thought, my life is kind of like 10 cars show up with 10 drivers and none of them know where they're going. And they all tell me to get in. <laughs> and it's like, how do I know which, like, how do I judge which thing to work on? I guess is the point that I'm getting at. It's like, because today you've said probably 50 things that I thought, Oh, these, all these sound like I need to work on them. Mm -hmm. But then I leave without working on anything or without taking a goal at all. And that's not good. Um, if you can find anyone that strikes you as, as, you know, the big troublemaker in your life, focus on that. Okay. And if they all seem to be equally important, just have a lottery. Pick one. Pick one, pick one at random and work on it. There's an inclination to pick the thing that I don't want to work on, I think. So I think I probably should think about that maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the one that's the most problem. Uh, yeah. But the, the issue about, you know, withdrawing from society, I mean, in, in terms of your family, you still want to deal with your family. But you've got to find some ways of changing the topic of conversation when they're starting to dig in at each other. You know, find, carry a few topics of conversation that you know that they don't get you know, straight at each other on. Sure. Which you can actually talk about where you can be in harmony and focus on those and try to steer the conversation in that direction. That's helpful. I mean, a lot of times I end up leaving and then spending a lot of time thinking about how could I help or what could I have said or what could I... But sometimes that gets myself into wasting a lot of time. That's not useful either. It's, it's their issues, and I maybe I need to let it go. Or something. Yeah. This, this is when it's got to change the topic. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Good morning, Ajahn. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, mostly, I just wanted a quick check-in about my practice because I haven't seen you in a long time, but I do have a question related to it too. So a number of years ago when you were at PFOD, you walked us through a meditation where we were breathing through the spine, areas of the spine. And after I did that, that basically became how I meditated, because what I've noticed is if I do uh, like a really single focused, like the breath meditation, for example, just with the nose or whatever, I just fall asleep because all of that one point business puts me to sleep because I have chronic fatigue syndrome. <laughs> um, so I have been doing that. And then I've also been exclude pretty much exclusively combining that with Meta. Um, and I find that the two together give me sort of enough to do during my practice that even if I'm lying down, I'm not usually falling asleep. So that's big progress. <laughs> um, so, but one of the things I've noticed during the breathing is that I cannot really access 
my shoulder, my left shoulder in particular. So when I'm breathing, I'm sort of gently perfusing the whole body with the breath. And that it's just like the air just doesn't go in, even if I don't force it at all. And I sort of trickle it or anything. So um, is that a problem? Should I just not worry about it? Um, So that's the question. Okay. To what extent can can you feel your arm? Where, where, where does I can where, feel the arm from here, here down. Okay, and so then it's like the shoulder blade to the bicep. Okay, okay, okay. okay. What you want to do is ask yourself, okay, how are these connected? There's, there's okay. got to be connected someplace. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any blood flow. There wouldn't be the nerves wouldn't be working. There's got to be a connection someplace. It may not. One thing I discovered, and I had a similar problem. Well, there's my, well, it's my left shoulder. Huh. It seemed that part of it was missing. And then I realized that my mental image of where my shoulder was was actually back here. Mm. So I think of okay, let that then think of the think of it going through wherever, wherever it's going to have to go in order to get around, and finally coming and connect with the bicep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Over time, uh, over time, it kind of adjusted itself, so that it actually was my mental image of where my shoulder was with the actual physical shoulder came more and more in alignment. Okay. But in the meantime, just ask yourself, well, if they're not connected right through the shoulder, how are they connected? And just sort of see with your imagination, where is the connecting line? How they get around? Kind of explore that. Great. Okay. I'll do that. Um, All right. Second question. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, So we have had a lot of opportunity this fall to practice um, patience endurance with our 16-year-old. She's been having massive autistic meltdowns um, in the evenings. And the only thing that seems to assist her is when I do metta in just quietly, you know, she, I don't say it out loud or anything, but um, I notice like if I'm actually really concentrating and not popping into my thoughts, she will gradually calm down. Um, but sometimes I just, I can't get that focused. Um, and is there anything else that I can be doing during those times where um, either there's some irritation present or um, sometimes it's despair that I'm feeling. Um, any advice you have around that situation? Okay, that's, this is when you've got to ask those, those thoughts. With these thoughts about despair, what are you telling yourself that's giving rise to the despair? Yeah. Can you kind of change the story? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And part of the despair is how long has this been going on? How much longer will this go on? Yeah, it's very time oriented or it will never end or yeah. Right. Yeah. You say, well, who knows? I mean, how, who knows long, how much longer we're going to have time together here on earth? Let's, let's make sure right now uh, my mind is in a good place just right now. And then forget about how, how much longer this is going to be. Fast mm-hmm. on. And just focus on, okay, what can I do to be present for her and to be, as, 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 as calming a presence as it can be right now. Okay. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It was very nice to see you. Thank you so much. So uh, when I started practice and uh, I, uh, I tried to become a bit stricter and take up the eight precepts kind of thing. So I stopped. Uh, I, I used to watch a lot of movies and TV series and these things. Uh, I uh, cut them continuously and I actually had the opposite effect uh, as thought uh, previously. Um, what, what happened is... Uh, 
uh, when I'm uh, I started observing the breath and these things, uh, I tried to be like that. And whenever something comes in contact with me, like uh, my parents or uh, the dealing with my parents and those things, uh, something uh, it it used to be like uh, like you said, uh, I built a barrier or something and. Uh, I I I basically stop feeding my mind with any other emotions other than what is coming and uh, 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 other emotions and uh, when something comes in contact uh, or somebody uh, tries to uh, talk to me or something uh, they uh, used to come some uh, heavy level of anger and fr- uh, frustration I used to get easily frustrated and these things that used to happen to me and uh, I got scared and I thought that means it's like uh, it's like uh, uh, making some animal uh, pet or uh, uh, something uh, hungry uh, where it is uh, behaving very weirdly uh, that's how i felt something is inside me and uh, it's behaving weirdly and i started uh, these things back again uh, uh, knowingly because uh, i got afraid of it so how, how if i want to do the same kind of thing again uh, how would you suggest to go about it you've got to do it with a lot of goodwill both for the different parts of your mind and goodwill for the situation outside. And that, that helps deal with any feelings of fear that you might have. So give that a try. It's, uh, I exactly, it's, it's not the fear, like it's just that uh, uh, it's uh, like mind is deprived of some kind of emotion that it is getting some kind of feed, uh, food that it is getting from these other things that I'm uh, uh, going through. And uh, uh, when uh, something is get, coming into contact with it, it's getting frustrated so easily. Like uh, it's uh, taking out on uh, uh, other pe- people around me. And uh, it's when actually uh, I uh, I kind of got frustrated with an office employee, then I realized that uh, this, this, need to, this needs to stop. Well, if you find you're still getting more frustrated, then stop doing what you were doing that's getting you frustrated and, and go back to what was actually working. But uh, we need to take the, I mean, we need to stop the food, right? Like, uh, means I, I have a tendency of uh, keeping my mind occupied with the movies or uh, something always. Okay. Um, if, in, instead of movies, look at documentaries. They're innocent. Something, so, uh, I need to, I need to, means I think uh, breath is not holding my attention enough uh, yeah. or something. Like I need to find something more uh, that catches my attention and that holds my attention more. Right, right. Keeps okay, well, try some nature documentaries. Okay. So that okay. was endurance. And then we'll meet again here at two o'clock our time. Another two hours. And we'll have some equanimity.